Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Happy to be here today. I'm excited to have Tara Vance on the program today. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So Tara Vance, I'm going to ask a couple of questions uh, to, to explain kind of who she is and what Tara does and what her work is. Um, but uh, just to kind of give folks a background on kind of how I found Tara and uh, some other guests I've had recently and some up future upcoming ones as well. As you, as folks know, I'm, I'm in the ABA field, um, but I'm definitely, uh, uh, you know, on the side that, uh, uh, our field could use, you know, a pretty a pretty good overhaul at a lot of levels, um, um, both in terms of the, the the primary population that a lot of us serve, which is autistic folk. You know, there's a lot of work to be done there, and you've heard a few episodes I've done where we've had some different conversations, sort of on neurodiversity and um, you know neurodiversity affirming practices, which we'll dive into a little bit today. Um, as well as, um, you know, just listening to the voices of autistic folk. Uh, but similarly, our field, it, it's not just autistic folk where we've, you know, kind of failed in a field. We've also failed in terms of just cultural diversity in general. And so we've had a lot of episodes on sort of how to work with different populations, you know, certainly a lot on racism and classism and pretty much every ism that's out there. Um, uh, ableism too quite a bit and uh, so we see there's a lot of work that needs to be done in our field in a lot of different areas and I'm really trying to uplift the voices that are doing such good work and in terms of kind of folks that are that are actually autistic that have been involved in sort of some of these movements they tend to be folks who are practicing in the field you know, often BCBAs or whatnot, and and autistic at the same time, which is great. I mean, it's great to have a voice of someone who, you know, knows our field, but also, you know, can speak from, you know, at least their own perspective of, uh, of being autistic. But it's also nice to get, you know, voices of folks that are autistic that maybe aren't practicing, you know, they just have a different perspective. You know, the more voices, the merrier. We all know that one one person with autism is one person with autism, just like one person of any sort is just one person, and everyone's got a unique perspective. Well, there's been a few names that have been coming up that have come up for me, you know, in the last few years. Um, you know, certainly during COVID, a lot of us were online a lot more on social media, and, and so on social media, a few names were popping up quite regularly. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Tara's was one of them, and there's a few others. Um um, 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 there's uh, uh, a few other folks and, and, and actually there's going to be a few other folks including Jeff who's going to be coming on um, uh, in a couple months as well um, uh, uh, and, but Tara has definitely been an active an active uh, uh, contributor on, on in a lot of these conversations separate to that I had read a lot about a uh, and, and references to and looked at a, a web page called Neuroclastic. And uh, I think a lot of folks out there will now be familiar with Neuroclastic. And it's an amazing website, just full of, of resources and, and writings and, uh, you know, advocacy tools and, and just so much information. You know, basically, if you want to know about neurodiversity, um, 
And in any in any aspect, it's a great place to go. There's lots of really good neurodiversity resources out there. We might touch on those. Uh, but certainly if you're working in a professional field supporting autistic folk, it is definitely the go-to place to sort of get, to really get perspective. What I didn't realize until very recently was that this page was actually created by Tara. Everything kind of falls into place now because you start to wonder why do you start to see these names here and, and, and all these connections. So I had to have had to have Tara on the podcast to really kind of get get uh, get it from the source. Talk about neuroclast neuroclastic and just all things neurodiversity and and really just kind of any direction the conversation can go. So um, so Tara, maybe we can just start by sort of telling telling us kind of the story as to sort your story as a sort of you know, why, why this is of any interest to you whatsoever? Why, why, why is neurodiversity? Why is, you know, you know, reform in ABA, you know, all of it. Why did you develop a, a really strong interest in this area? Okay. So this is a super complicated question, but I'll do my best. No um, worries. You might have to rein me in because once I get started, I get lost and that's, mm. Part that, of my neurology. <laughs> that makes it all the more fun for me. So okay, I, I love good. it. So I um, was diagnosed at age five with dyslexia. This was in, or maybe age four. It was right before kindergarten. And so right. this was in the early 80s. I was mm. born in 1980. Mm. Um, I Actually, my birthday is this week. Oh. I think. I always forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy almost birthday. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, back then to have that diagnosis, I was like a unicorn. I mm. never met anybody else who had a diagnosis of anything. And mm. then, you know, this was also in the backwoods of a coal camp in Southern West Virginia. Wow. One of the most isolated maybe the most, um, in terms of like, um, just conforming to more broad American culture, totally mm -hmm. different, mm -hmm. like a different country, sure. to culture, everything, language, you know, if I sounded like the people sounded when I was a kid around me, mm -hmm. everyone would need subtitles. <laughs> um, and when people from where I'm from are on television, they have to have subtitles like it's <laughs> totally different world so yeah. for me to have that diagnosis back then when we didn't have a single mental health clinic or psychologist or psychiatrist or anything mm -hmm. in the whole region that was huge and then later my brother is diagnosed with ADHD Tourette's epilepsy and a couple other things that nobody else had diagnoses hmm. for Still not autism, selective mm. mutism, but not autism. Because mm. back then, autism, we knew one person who had that diagnosis, but mm. she probably actually um, maybe have severe cerebral palsy or some genetic condition that was not autism. Right. Um, but just that's what people thought. It just meant severely disabled, especially maybe intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it wasn't really a thing anybody knew about back then. Hmm. Anyway, I have 
always been incredibly different. Not a little bit, a ton. Hmm. Like, um, it on the playground as a kid, I was always leading like social justice insurrections. Nobody <laughs> in my area ever talked about social justice, anything. It was hmm. just like in my blood, hmm. you know. But um, it was that, you know, practice what you preach kind Mm -hmm. of mentality for me. It was, I think a lot of autistic people will feel like most people were performing all the time and they're hypocritical. Mm. Honestly, most people are performing all the time and they're hypocritical. I don't mean that as a value judgment, Mm -hmm. but comparatively, like when people say be honest, that doesn't actually mean honest the way that I would interpret that word. Sure. And so it was largely that being a whistleblower, like I got kicked out of my family's church that my uncle built, um, my great uncle. So it was like, you know, they have been going there for 78 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was the first person to ever get kicked out, um, for challenging the patriarchy, even though I didn't have a word for patriarchy back Mm -hmm. then. It was just, you know. All the things, I was gender non-conforming, but we didn't have that word either. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I I couldn't read until fifth grade, then graduated valedictorian. That was atypical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't because of dyslexia, but because of eye tracking, because of dyspraxia. Hmm. And so I go through my adult life, and it's nothing but a series of extreme folly. Like, Mm -hmm. marrying someone who conned me for a green card, Mm. um, who was extremely dangerous, and then staying in that marriage for a long time because I'm faithful and I don't know how to recognize abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And, like, getting, having conflicts at work that were... Uh, largely me taking it, taking things morally too seriously, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, challenging racism in the early 2000s is not, (laughs) was not popular. Nope. And especially um, coming from someone that, I think my accent often makes people feel like I'll be a safe person to be racist in front of. Sure. Yeah. But, like, nothing has ever mattered more than anti-racism to me. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I I get asked a lot, what are you? And I think that they mean racially, what mm-hmm. am I? Mm-hmm. Because I have green eyes, uh, but I don't really look like a, most white people. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not, um, so that was maybe part of it. But I didn't really even know my cultural background. I just hated racism, so mm. and and all inequities. And so that's mm-hmm. just always been my whole life. I spent a large chunk of my life like traveling um, to D.C. and staying in houses with activists, um, like mm. communal houses that like orgs would fund to you know bring activists in to lobby and whatnot sure 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 
So I just lived that lifestyle, you know, the the day that I turned 18 or, or just right after I moved. And that was mm. the end. Like mm. I was just full on activist ever since. And mm. I was a teacher for a while. Then I wanted to, I felt like I couldn't change the system from within. I did that for 14 years. Mm. But also, I couldn't keep up anymore. We, it was direct instruction, which turns out to be ABA and PBIS, mm. which also turns out to be ABA, um, that I just couldn't. They did not match at all with my style, with mm. what I had always done that worked. You know, everyone mm. gave me the children that no one else wanted. Mm. But... um my kids loved me because I hated rules that don't make sense. And mm. I just always was different, extremely. Mm. Um, and how I approached every single thing, what I cared about. And so uh, one day I had some sensitivity readers for a novel that I was working on. Mm. And I sent it to a friend. I have been diagnosed in my early 20s with ADHD. Okay. My doctor said he had never seen a more extreme case in an adult, hmm. um, which didn't surprise me at all. Because mm -hmm. as soon as I heard about that um, and saw it in my students, I was like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> so, um, And yes, I got that diagnosis in the full neuropsych. Didn't tell me that he had put in my file also meets criteria for Asperger's. In 2006, mm. 2006, that was, uh, you know, Asperger's would have been given to anyone who didn't have severe yes. um, intellectual or communication or speech difficulties. Right, right. right. And so um, then in 20, early 2017, like January February, I sent my novel to some sensitivity readers, and one was a woman who's autistic, uh, hmm. who was autistic, and um, I didn't tell her which character was autistic, but it, I thought it was obvious, hmm. and so when I talked to her, she was like, um, almost all your characters are autistic. <laughs> no, they're not. I told her, yeah, yeah, they are. No, um, hmm. you know, then I started describing, you know, I had a psych degree, uh, a graduate degree. Right. So I was telling her, you know, different things they might be diagnosed as, but not autism. <laughs> she said, you need to go and look up like female profiles of autism mm. or read from actually autistic people. And I didn't know that there was an autistic community um, mm, when you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you abide the professional world. And this is why I'm pretty patient with BCBAs and other um, intervention specialists and providers, mm -hmm. because I worked in the professional world for, mm -hmm. you know, 14 years and had sure. no idea. And then right. in counseling for two years with people who probably were at least half autistic um, but just have been diagnosed with different things like PTSD or borderline personality mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. 
But anyway, um, so I went and I found Samantha Craft's like checklist of traits uh, for women. And there were, I don't know, maybe 200 things. And I was all but a few. Wow. Uh, it was like the Truman Show. It was yep. like somebody had been watching me. Wow. All these things that everybody thought that I was like performatively trying to be different, to be mm-hmm, difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I, I have never wanted to be different. It just was that way. Yeah. It was a big... I didn't have a problem with how I was, but I had a problem with how hard it was to be me. Mm. Uh, even convincing other people, you know, like not liking hugs and and physical touch from most anybody. Mm-hmm. And people thought, well, that's weird. That's, um, that's a sign of sexual abuse uh, in early childhood. And I had doctors tell me, convince me that... Mm-hmm. You know, I I just couldn't remember it, but that's why I was the way I was, and that's why I looked so skittish. And I had had bosses tell me things like, "Why are you, um, wh- why are you moving the way you are? You look mm. like." It. I had two different people on the job tell me I look like a crackhead. That was their words. I would not use that word to describe people. Sure, sure. But you know that that has a big impact on you when when you have no idea you're moving a certain way. But I yeah. guess it was just stimming and rocking. You were just being nervous or excited, often because of severe auditory processing. I'm trying not to mm. interrupt <laughs> because mm-hmm. if people go on for a long time, I lo- they lose me because I'm still processing what they said at the beginning. Yeah, and if I don't interrupt them and check in and and like verbally process i'm gonna lose a lot of what they've said no i get that yeah or at least let me take notes or something you know yeah so stuff like that um but yeah as soon as i saw that i had a doctor's appointment um with my psych the adhd the person who wrote my adderall prescription and it was just a 15 minute you know Mm -hmm. routine med check that i went to every six weeks to get my prescription refilled. And Hmm. they said, uh, I told him I went in with like binders of information and I had taken all the quizzes and just a week has passed. But you know, when you consume 18 plus hours a day of information and remember it all, you can become an expert in things super quick. So I went in like, you know, a scholar with all Hmm. these things and, uh, I, I was prepared to fight because people had said, you know, it's really hard to get a diagnosis. And I was like, I know this is going to sound extreme, but I need you to hear me out. Mm. I I believe and I'm pretty sure I'm autistic. And he goes, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, huh? He's like, I know. I know. He said he had the tone. You know, we can mm-hmm. read tone and and facial expressions Mm -hmm. this one was obvious i know and so uh i was like what do i do he was like it's already in your chart nice okay well i had already had the full neuropsych and and my first provider had put in my chart that he suspected but i didn't Mm -hmm. ask for that and they don't give you a diagnosis of something so stigmatizing often it Mm. depends on provider 
unless they think it will benefit your life. And I think he maybe thought, you know, you're working and you can dress yourself and whatnot, so you probably mm. don't need a diagnosis. I mm. needed it. But you're already but, you're already being stigmatized for everything you're doing anyway. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean my my previous doctor who eventually retired, I loved him. He would say things like, you're just more honest than everybody around you. That's, mm-hmm. that's all this is. He would tell me that. You really are extremely honest, and when you don't realize how much other people are not. That's what he would mm-hmm. tell me all the time, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. just thought, you know, like, that feels, that's not a diagnosis. That doesn't mm-hmm. really help me no. with anything. But, um, so yeah. after, you know, and true fashion it it was such a you know it confirmed so much and answered so many questions that i i just dove in hmm. one day i saw an inflammatory article on psych central and in true autistic fashion i wrote the ceo and i was like hey this is harmful hmm. um this is a, one of your feature writers and he was like well you know, you seem like a really good writer yourself. Why don't you write with Psych Central? So I, I did. Hmm. <laughs> I So I just, cool. you know, it was like only a couple months after being diagnosed. Um, but like I said, I, I'm i a quick study because all I do is study. Yes. <laughs> I don't do leisure time. Yeah, that so, is your leisure, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I... Um, Plus, I did have the background. You know, I understood ADHD. I had been a teacher for so long. I um, I knew I was ADHD and dyslexic and uh, had tic disorder. So it, it all made sense. And mm. there was so much overlap of, of those things. There, It's impossible to separate out which which comes with, you know, which diagnosis or whatever. Um, but anyway, I had all this traffic and I felt like I shouldn't be the voice of autism uh, as the only person in this, like, most trafficked mental health website in the world. Mm. So I wanted to at least find a way to direct my traffic to my friends that I have met online who were teaching me. And also every advocate that I saw was white. Every single one. I could not find one. And I now, in hindsight, I know there are there always were some, but I just didn't come across them. They weren't in the pockets that the algorithms were feeding me. So mm. I um brought some of my friends uh, together and said, hey, why don't we make a joint blog because it's too expensive for one person mm-hmm. to like get the graphic software the to pay for the WordPress and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Let's just do it together and then we can like pool our resources. Mm-hmm. Socialism is great <laughs> for autistic people. <laughs> and, you know, so there were, there was a tech, there were two tech people Mm-hmm. who, you know, have been building websites since the advent of the internet. And 
um, you know, some people from various cultures and countries that I had just become friends with, and we started a thing. And there were initially seven of us and then Hmm. 11. And then it started taking off. Um, I wrote a big article on Psych Central. It got, like, millions of views, and it put Neuroclastic on the map. So we've just been growing ever since. We've kept that focus of, like, um, platforming underrepresented voices and advocacy, Hmm. um, non-speakers and people from non-dominant cultures. Right on. And so, so that was a lot. <laughs> and, so, and so that's neuroclastic. That's that's then that's the, neuroclastic. And now we have several hundred contributors and we're official nonprofit. We get on Facebook alone we get over a million unique visitors a month. Wow. So we're doing we're doing a lot to change the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And it's definitely not me. Like, I I probably, I do put the most work in as an individual there mm-hmm. because because it's a pathology. Yeah, <laughs> like 18 hours a day. <laughs> because, you know, that's that hyper-focus. Like, I, yeah. I am the epitome of that. I am, yeah. you know, my, my train runs on tracks and the yeah. tracks are laid and I just keep going, you know. I yeah. don't have brakes. I don't make turns. I just yeah. go, go, go. And... So yeah, it, I do as an individual the most things, but um, cumulatively I am not the voice, and I try not to even like put my name or picture or anything. Just mm. um, I noticed I noticed that I was trying to sort of uh, doing a little research and trying to make some connections, and I had heard your link to the site, but. You really have to dig deep on that site to determine that you're 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 more than just uh, one one of the many many great writers on that page. Yeah, you definitely don't put a lot of effort into taking credit for the site, which is cool. Yeah, because that that would be defeating the point of improving representation. You know, um, I am an underrepresented perspective in a lot of ways. Uh, being i am the cultural poor i'm native and romani mm. and i'm from appalachia which is a very different world um mm. and so i already most things in society are in conflict with my upbringing culture Mm -hmm. and values Mm -hmm. socially and you know so i do i am an underrepresented population but also i've had privilege in that i have worked in a professional way um and you know just things, <laughs> just ways that uh, we need more people. I speak, and that is a 
a big difference. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, De- it shouldn't be about me. Right. That would, that would defeat the purpose for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the, the just a, a, a quick tangent here. Um, just you mentioned you speak um, and you mentioned, you know, when you first got diagnosed with, with Asperger's. That's not a term we hear much anymore. What, what, what's I know I know in sort of the and I don't want to I mean, we could certainly get into the DSM, I suppose, and the, 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 the many issues there um, um, and, and certainly some of the changes that they come up with that sort of can affect a lot of different things. But I noticed that one big change sort of in, I guess, one of the more recent versions was was getting rid of that term of Asperger's syndrome. And, and yet it seemed like at least when I was in the, got into the field early on that there were a lot of people out there, you know, that had really attached that term to their identity and, 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 and really kind of personalized it and sort of, but then it was kind of taken away um, in some ways. Um, um, what 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 are your thoughts on that? I guess first on, I'm I'm curious sort of why we don't hear why Asperger's was kind of removed. I don't know if you know the answer to that, but also I definitely know. know the, okay, perfect, <laughs> I know all perfect. About this. perfect. So um, maybe, maybe well then I, I won't keep asking. Maybe you can just kind of dive into that 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 sure. piece. What what happened there? Yeah. So there were there as a teacher. Um, it, it was clear to me that, that who was diagnosed Asperger's and who was diagnosed autistic was completely arbitrary. Mm. We would have someone who had lots of friends who was making, you know, honor roll in advanced classes, who, you know, was different but mm. was by, by the world standards, quote, high functioning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then we would have someone diagnosed with Asperger's who had um, intellectual disability and had no friends and uh, needed a, a whole lot of support, uh, was bullied a lot. And so it was really, to me, I didn't care about mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, I had mm-hmm. just learned through having students it's the same. It just depends on what doctor you have. Mm. Who, what. So when I came out as autistic, I wasn't diagnosed with Asperger's. I mm. had probably has Asperger's. Oh, I see. And, but no one told me about that until mm. after I, I went and said, hey, I'm autistic. But I, I tried to come out to a very close friend of mine who had a son who was non-speaking. And she was um, Pakistani Muslim, mm. dark-skinned, uh, and her non-speaking son, um, she was terrified, rightfully so, that you know he was going to be even more vulnerable to the prejudice that she Mm. had encountered Mm. in society. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's life-threatening. So when I told her, hey, I'm autistic, right after I got diagnosed, like the next day or two (laughs) days later, she was extremely offended. 
because I had a degree. I speak. Mm. Um, I was able to have lots of friends. And she said to me, you know, she cursed me out. She told me I was appropriating her son's diagnosis when his life is on the line. And he was never going to call her mama. And she just wanted him to stop biting and scratching her. Mm. And here I was cheapening that. Mm. Um, And so she went and she blocked me on social media and, and everything and went and told everyone that I was autistic. And I saw half of the conversations about me because some people also blocked me in our mutual friend circle. Mm. And others were who didn't were saying things like it would have been a lot more sensitive to say Asperger's. Hmm. So I tried to enter the autistic community. I was in a spiral. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things to process mm-hmm. already and then lose my friend circle. I was a new mother. Hmm. And um, when I came to the autistic community, I had the exact opposite. I started by saying I'm Aspie. My husband knew that he was autistic. He's not been officially diagnosed, but he always knew. Mm. And he just he doesn't talk about it much. He doesn't care. But he used the word Aspie, and mm. other people use it. So I came and I said, hey, I'm an Aspie. Mm. And then everybody says, oh, you're a Nazi. You're an Aspie supremacist. And I'm like, what? Whoa. Whoa, you know, I've spent my entire life, like, in the deepest trenches of anti-racism work. Like, mm. like I've been protesting police brutality since 1998 in mm-hmm. a very public way, like, that's my entire life. So calling me that was mm. like as bad as maybe somebody getting called a pedophile or something like, sure. I do not take that lightly. That is no. the, the polar opposite of my deepest passion. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I, I got blocked from eight groups every, it was, it was very similar to the same kind of things where I would just say the wrong thing because I didn't know hmm. it was the wrong thing all the time. So it was not new, but it it was like that was the last group where I thought that I was going to fit in because I had been reading things from all these people who were saying these things and making fun of me um, for the last few weeks. And, like, I felt like I knew them because, you know, like I said, I read... And remember everything that I read. So, um, I so, knew all about these people because I had read everything they'd ever written. And then they were, I got banned from eight groups because as soon as I would go to the next group, they were, oh, there's the Aspie supremacist. So that was, um, that became like a big part of my early advocacy is telling people, like, you're too hard on people for using this word. Like, that is not... And Hans Asperger had some tenuous... It's debated on how much he was, like, complicit with the Nazi regime. Mm. That's the connection. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and so for valid reasons, people were opposed to the word Asperger's. But at the same time, it was still a diagnosis. Right, yeah. 
other people had no idea. And so I'm telling people like, I respect your fight, but also you're, you're hurting people who mm-hmm. don't know better. Like, mm-hmm. so it became, it became a huge thing, but thankfully that word has phased out mm. um, almost entirely. And, and so it's this apparent, um, and I say apparent because I, I just can't speak intelligently about it. I don't know, have enough information, but <laughs> but it's this it's apparent, a, a sort of alleged connection of Hans Asperger to the Nazi regime. That has, that was half of it, and that, the other yeah. half was that it, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a useless label that assume someone's function level based on how well they can mask mm-hmm. as neurotypical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, if someone has apraxia and they speak differently, they get assumed as being unintelligent and childlike. Right, right. And um, so it just became this like, and also there are, there are like a lot of people with the, label and the identity Asperger's I didn't know any of this at the time mm-hmm. who had like infused the identity with this notion of like being superior mm, right to, yes to other to, to neurotypicals of course and, yeah the whole evolution sort of argument. yeah the next yeah. stage in evolution and yeah. all that like to me all of that sounded like you know uh, conspiracy theories like mm-hmm, tinfoil mm-hmm. hat because I was coming <laughs> from the professional world where sure. everybody just kind of you know didn't really make any big distinction between those two it was almost more of a personality difference like um you had these like misanthropic dry hermit um sarcastic monotone that was me that was more me mm-hmm. right um people who had the aspie personality and then mm. you had the more like um artsy theater loving mm. um bubbly happy flappy stimmy <laughs> loves glitter and bright bold colors now None of those things are clinically relevant, and they're right. You can't say that somebody is all this or all that. But in my experience of things, the from the angle that I entered the community, that was kind of like it was not at all related to intelligence, it was Mm -hmm. more like, did you have this like dry, um, you know, like computer nerd, yep, or were you like. Like I said, more the theater kid mm-hmm. who Eccentric, does yeah. impressions and is moves all the time and is mm. funky colors of hair and clothes. And I was, you know, none of that. I was like, leave me alone. I want to sit in a cave and read a book. Yep. <laughs> yep. Was, it was just that. But that's kind of the cultural Thing, and I'm very glad that it's pretty much phased out mm-hmm. because it it was a mess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean it really did sort of create this, um, uh, you know, this image for folks that 
also, I think it also created this image for folks that, you know, that there was a, and I'm not saying there isn't, but that there was a, a, because, because sort of this Asperger's quote unquote, high functioning, quote unquote, which is a whole other issue too. um, I think in some ways it led families to believe that their kids who were sort of on the opposite end of things could get there. You know, that, that, that was a place that they could arrive with the right kind of whatever intervention or therapy or whatnot that they could go from being these sort of individuals that didn't speak and didn't have some of those characteristics to becoming this other person. And I'm not saying that that does happen for some kids, I think, but I think it sort of created this sort of. Well, it was like this surface understanding of autism where you believe that there are two ends. Yes. When right. it doesn't work like that at all. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and if you look at my IQ test, there are areas of severe intellectual disability on there mm. um, that do impact me a, a lot, but I don't, um, they're visual and spatial, right? Mm-hmm. Like I constantly, mm-hmm. uh, stairs look like a painted ramp to me. That's why I couldn't read. My eyes can't track. Um, mm. They, Eventually, I built up the ability to do that, but it, I was very late, and hmm. I, and so it was like kindergarten to fifth grade, being accused of like being lazy and avoidant hmm. because I could spell, I could see, so they assume right. there was no problem there. Sure. We didn't understand yeah. all the stuff that we know today, you know. So, um, Hmm. yeah, it's a very service understanding. Um, you think like when people describe the people at judge Rotenberg center, Hmm. they say the most severe and they start describing things about those people. I'm like, I, that you just described me. Hmm. Right. So I'm covered in scars. Yep. And I've been the person uh, I, you know, I heard someone say, uh, talking about Judge Rittenberg Center, they're trying to scare people, like, by saying this kid picked up a refrigerator and threw it. Mm-hmm. And they're strong. Well, I picked up a vending machine and threw it once. Like, mm. I I couldn't do that if I tried. Yeah. Right. But it's kind of like, you know, when a, a mother has a car run over a child, they... they they just somehow yes, find the strength exactly. to lift that car. That adrenaline just, push. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I just team with that much adrenaline. Yep. That, and, you know, the self-harm has been the only tool that I ever had mm-hmm. prior to being diagnosed and understanding sensory and whatnot. It's been mm-hmm. the only tool. As a kid, I was believed to be demon-possessed. Mm, right? Wow. Yeah. So um, the kind of treatment that in a religious backwoods place um, that you give to people who are, you assume are demon possessed is not that different from judge Rotenberg center. Right. Mm. Um, And so people say they've pulled their own teeth out. You should see my dental Uh, x-rays. I I almost have no molars left. Mm, Um, I've done that. You know, so I have to 
always tell people like things that I was able to keep private for a mm -hmm. lot of my life mm -hmm. um, to be believed mm -hmm. that these things have always been a part of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I have become gradually much more disabled uh, physically and sensory-wise, like being wholly unable to tolerate certain things and also chronic health issues that tend to go along with being autistic, like mm. connective tissue disorders, Ehlers-Danlos. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that one, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that um, is, but... For most autistic people, it means joint hypermobility, but mm. other things too, like all your tissues stretch too much, mm. right? They're, they're too elastic, so... Mm. That, that impacts digestion a lot. Hmm. So, you know, everything just expands a lot more than it should and doesn't contract as much mm. as it should. Mm. And so uh, you can work on things like posture with occupational or physical therapy for things like that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of mm -hmm. autistic mm -hmm. kids get that now. But, um, you know, as a kid, it was just like sit up straight. 5,000 mm -hmm. times a day. <laughs> sure. Uh, but, you, you know, I didn't have the core strength right. to have the posture that... <laughs> so adults would just constantly put their hands on me to adjust me to sit up mm. like, a, like a lady. And that, that, never, that never turned out well, but that happened to yeah. me all day, every day. And that, you know, it's just all these things that... Um, once you get to understand all the ways that that being autistic is similar to and different from other autistics and um, you see the patterns, you know, mm -hmm, like so many mm -hmm, of us have mm -hmm, Ehlers-Danlos, mm -hmm. so many of us have dyspraxia where 87% mm -hmm. uh, of us have clinically significant dyspraxia, which mm. means we can't coordinate our body's movements. Um, mm -hmm. with as much accuracy and on the flip side of that we have the more it seems research is only starting to touch on this but it seems that as the more severe a person's apraxia or motor planning ability mm. is disabled because that autism is not a severity thing but apraxia or dyspraxia mm. level dyspraxia is Right, so the more severe someone's motor disability is with being able to execute purposeful movement, even mm -hmm. for things like speech, similarly, they tend to have equally severe motor disinhibition, mm -hmm. which means they can't stop themselves from doing things that... Um, that they don't want to do. Right. And so a lot of things that people think of as uh, like purposeful stimming with hmm. a functional, you know, you could do a functional behavior analysis and figure out the reason. It's really mm -hmm. more like the brain is having hiccups. It's more like epilepsy and OCD. Hmm. Sorry, there's a train in the background. Okay. No, you can't hear it. It's good. Okay, so um, the, there are so many things that, that 
my severe motor planning deficits. I, I speak differently and people think that I am dramatically pausing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I can't speak at all. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's like the more dysregulated I am, especially with exhaustion, the more <laughs> likely it is that I start having tics and I start doing things like I've been in very important uh, professional meetings, conferences and things and done something like make a loud bird sound. Mm. N nothing told me that was going to happen before it happened. Kind of like a sneeze, you know, it's like. But it just happens. Uh, mm -hmm. Or slam my hands down on the table and scare everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. And have no way to explain what just happened. Because I have no idea. It, it surprised me too. Scared me too. Mm -hmm. You know. But it, lots of things like that. That um, you start to understand after you're in community with lots of autistic people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand autism with enough depth and nuance until I started hanging out with non-speakers. Mm. And that's when um, I realized how absolutely garbage uh, functioning labels are and their perception that, you know, because almost every non-speaker will tell you that they spend a large percentage of their life uh, being conceived of as like, a large toddler, <laughs> mm -hmm, no matter mm -hmm. what their age was, and talk mm -hmm. to like a pet or a zoo animal, or people thought they could they couldn't understand language and just said whatever in front of them. So Tara, I think a lot of the stuff you're telling me, you know, uh, which is you know really eye opening, and I think you know there's just there's so many features of well one person's autistic experience that are you know can be so different than someone else's and so many different sort of the dyspraxia and the and all the disses that are in there um uh, uh is something i hear a lot is and, and and sort of leading to the kind of the, the next question um um is you know the, the it's it's things like this that maybe aren't really considered or thought of you know, um, which is the same thing uh, when um, when folks are trying to sort of develop, you know, supports, especially for the really young folk. And you don't, you don't even really think about sort of how life can change for someone who's autistic when they're adults. And that, you know, you're speaking of your own experiences with regression and, you know, more severe sensory issues and so on and so forth, you know, that I don't think, you know, I don't think people are thinking about when they're trying to help a four-year-old with who's just been diagnosed or whatever. Um, is, 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 is this part of the reason, you know, and certainly the judge Rotenberg stuff as well, but is this part of the, are, the, are these kind of the reasons why, and, and it, why I started to see your name kind of pop up more in some of these ABA conversations that I, that I was, I was involved in. Uh, like, is, is this sort of what led you to sort of start, speaking about the ABA reform issues and things that are going on is because there's just basically all this stuff going on that, you know, us BCBA folk just aren't even thinking about when we're trying to sort of, um, you know, help other folks out. 
Do you know what I mean? Oh, sorry. I have muted my mic. Oh, no worries. I started talking and... (laughs) Good, good. Uh, Yeah. Okay, sorry. So I had a very different and unique experience as an advocate, right? I used to be a teacher for 14 years. That's a very long time in public school. And it became like I became the teacher that was well known to be really great with autistic students, right? People were giving me offensive names like the autism whisperer. And I rejected those names, but that's what was happening. Parents were moving from all over the place to my school districts. So, and asking for me like two, three years in advance to teach their autistic kids because Hmm. I just developed this. People even try to start a school like a private school. There was a show with a family. I can't remember what it was called, and I don't really watch television, but the the kid's name was Max. And in that show, Max was autistic, and they he had a hard time at school, so they made a school, a private school, for autistic kids. Mm. And at that, when that became like pop culture at the time, all these parents got together and they found funding sources and they tried to start a school and asked me to run it. I was like, y'all, I can't organize a stack of papers. I can't run things. Like I'm not, I'm not organized enough for this. And they're like, well, we'll get you a secretary. (laughs) We need it to be you. But I was too afraid that it was like, I need consistency and routine, even if it's a bad routine. So I just said no, but I wanted eventually to go into psych, industrial and organizational psych, so that I could help change the systemic things that were happening in schools. And that that was the field that would get me there, that would give me the credentials to speak on systemic issues and what we need to do so that we stop putting, you know, millions upon millions into these programs that have value, but we don't know how to extract that value from them. Like we had Southern Poverty Law Center come in. I thought that I did so well with my kids because I came from poverty Hmm. uh, and, and no one else there had come from the the generational deep level of poor that I came from. Mm. So I thought that that's why I was doing so well with my kids. And I think still it was a big part of it, but I needed supervision hours and I tried to take a job where I was giving, doing like case management for adults with mental illness Mm. because I wanted to be a psychologist but after I got the job, before I started working with clients, the the director was like, hey, we, we have this thing called ABA, and it's become, like, huge. All of a sudden, it blew up because a law had just passed um, for funding. And so they, they had a ton of new clients, and he wanted me to just temporarily work that position with kids since I had so much experience until he could fill more positions. Okay. That was the last time I was able to work. Um, But at least I had the RBT training. 
and mm-hmm. spent like a month shadowing and doing the trainings right. and things. So I didn't really work in the field for a long time, but having worked as a teacher for so long, there's so much overlap and of course, you know, so I, I knew that, you know, when I heard autistic people saying ABA is abuse, I knew what they meant at a very deep nuance level, but I also felt like that was only a very surface understanding Mm. of what was actually happening. Like what I personally witnessed um, the BCBA that I worked under had been a special ed teacher and he had the personality of like Patch Adams. Hmm. He was neurodivergent. Hmm. He was super fun. He was very dedicated to like autonomy. He didn't understand autism with a lot of nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also he very much cared for kids and they were not being abused. What I witnessed was not in any way abusive. Hmm. It was a bit patronizing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because they were having kids, like, put blocks together. Mm. Who had serious apraxia, but they were speaking to them. Uh, you know, maybe they were 10 years old and they were speaking to them like they were two. Mm. Um, and having them do these menial tasks. But... Really what was happening is that when we're going to places, like the RBTs would all schedule, like, they would get the kid, they would try to get the kids that got along really well with each other Mm -hmm. and schedule at their favorite places. So there was a library in town, a children's library that was small and kind of off to the side that the kids loved that had like fun things and the librarians were fine with their like extremely loud stimming and things were at the bigger library. It wouldn't have been okay. So they, we Hmm. had places and we would take the kids and they, we would do a few minutes of like, you know, put the block here or put the string through this Cheeto or Cheeto, Cheerio. (laughs) You know, different, like, tasks Mm. for a few minutes, but mostly it was just, like, a young person, usually, like, a college student or just graduated from college in early 20s. Mm. Nice, happy, fresh-faced young adult would take and pick up kids and take them places and let them play with each other, like, at the park or the library. And they were getting out, and, like, some of the kids had... Uh, they were raised by like one grandparent who couldn't Mm. support them 24 hours a day without help. Mm. So what this was really doing was providing care for the kids so the caregivers didn't look for institutional settings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So in ways, it was life-saving. Right. Because this was the first time that they had been able to get services for 20 hours a week or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
And the kids were having a blast. Hmm. They loved playing with each other. Yep. There was not very much therapy happening. Mm. It was like we did the therapy things uh, quickly and then they played. Like just to get it out of the way. I can't speak to say that that's how it was all the time because I wasn't there that long. I only shadowed a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten times. Um. But I didn't see anything abusive. I saw things that were patronizing, that were ineffective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was the same kind of things that I saw in public schools. Sure. Right, where you had the kids that the teachers were just giving them these less than important tasks Mm -hmm. to do. And so um, there were things that made me very sad Mm. about it. But I knew that the people that I have worked with loved kids. Mm. I knew the kids loved them back. I knew that they would never want to hurt kids. So I didn't go into this with the same perspective that most autistic people would where they see things like from Lil Voss. Um... And they they associate it with gay conversion therapy. Mm. It is conversion therapy for a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not what I witnessed. Mm-hmm. But I did witness things that I would have liked to have changed. And I do also think that what I personally saw was not... Mm. Probably not the norm. Uh, I think it was mainly a company just starting to get into a new thing that they mm-hmm. hadn't worked out, mm-hmm. you know, very well what it means to be an ABA provider yet. And it's probably mm-hmm. a lot more organized. And I feel sad for that because really what they needed was someone who was not scared of the kids, who cared mm-hmm. about the kids to spend time with them and take them out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when you're, when you are taller than your 70-year-old or whatever grandmother who's trying to raise you and you elope and there's nothing she can do about it, she doesn't ever take you outside. Hmm. And when you can't speak and you are very different, you don't have friends until you have these people who make this safe situation for you mm-hmm. where they accept you and you have other people who are like you and you now have friends. Mm-hmm. So it was doing good things and I saw all this potential and I thought, you know, I wanted to see ABA band, but I didn't want to see um, people lose life-saving services. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see something better fill those places, but I mm-hmm. also began to see very quickly that it, ABA was not going to be banned. Mm-hmm. It was becoming like, you know, I already came from a school that became a full ABA school and we had day treatment that was like BCBAs and RBTs. Right, you right. Know? Just to uh, interrupt for a second, just for fun, that we do have uh, a few listeners that may not be familiar with some of the behavior analyst sort of lingo. So I just want to clarify for folks. So uh, Tara's talking about being an RBT. That's sort of the, the, the frontline credential from our certification board, a registered behavior technician. Uh, and then uh, Tara also referenced uh, LOVAS. Um, uh, and, and LOVAS refers to a, a, 
a fellow named Ivar Lovas, who um, back in the 70s, and she also mentioned uh, conversion therapy. So back in the 70s, um, uh, Lovas wrote a very controversial and still to this day article um, uh, that essentially looked at, uh, um, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but essentially looked at uh, converting a, 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 a young uh, a young boy who uh, identified as as gay, and they're trying to essentially uh, remove that identification and convert him into a a straight child. Um, Lovas later became known for uh, 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 publishing one of the first uh, sort of. Uh, are randomized control trials uh, of uh, of an autism of an intervention for for kids with autism, which um, uh, I'm I'm simplifying this, but affectionate, you know, not, effect, not essentially known as discrete trial training um, uh, is sort of what it was labeled as, and and a lot a lot of issues with that, uh, you know, particular um, um, paper at the time, and uh, you know, uh, language like um, you know, very very cure kind of type language of sort of removing the autism and making the person normal and so on and so forth. And so that's often referenced um, in a lot of, uh, um, uh, you know, ABA banning and ABA reform type uh, conversations. Sorry to interrupt. I just want to let folks know what we were talking oh, about there. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. the feminine, the feminine boy project. Exactly. Yes. Thank was, you. Um, and it was more than one boy, mm, but mm. yeah. So he, he kind of co-authored, both ABA and the Feminine Boy Project, mm-hmm. both as conversion therapies to normalize kids who... Yeah. And he used averses. He slapped them in the face. He used electric shock. He spanked them. Mm-hmm. He would scream in, in their faces and scare them yep. when they would do things like not make eye contact. Right, right. So extremely abusive. Um and then that is the founder of not of applied behavior analysis, but of the autism therapy that uh, continues to carry the harm. Maybe not as in in such intensity in most settings, mm-hmm. but um, you know anything that you do that is coercive, that's training the behavior of someone that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You can't because you're not wired to understand Mm -hmm. to behave in ways that um, you can't understand what their behave what what actual purpose their behaviors are serving Mm -hmm. or the Mm -hmm. the things that drive those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the more you do that, the more you're just um, convincing that person to that it's not okay to mm-hmm. ever be themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that they need to be ashamed of these things and adjust for it. Mm-hmm. And autistic people already carry thousands of rules. <laughs> yeah. At all times. Sure. Everything yeah. is like, cause we don't automate things. So we're sitting there and we're trying to hear you. We have auditory processing disorder yeah. and we hear every sound in the background louder and more prominently than your voice. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to make the correct amount of eye contact and not fidget and do all these mm-hmm. things so that we're not weird and immediately mm-hmm. d- discounted or called a crackhead like my yeah. boss. Yeah. 
had done. So we already have all these rules. We don't realize other people don't have all those rules, right? Nobody gives us language to talk about us until we go find it ourselves from other ITC people. Absolutely. Um, and so it's just kind of that perpetuation of we don't need to understand you. We need to civilize you. Mm -hmm. And that's a vestige of like white supremacy too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's, We've, um, this, this entire country has manifest destiny. You know, it's, it's like white Europeans believed that was God's calling that they should like claim America as the motherland for them and that they had dominion over indigenous people and mm -hmm. that they, they were like, doing God's work to civilize savage mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you see, uh, you see a lot of the same kind of attitude towards autistic people, mm -hmm. um, that I'm not calling ableism and racism the same, but I'm saying that this whole supremacist thing is not new. It has always been there. And um, so it becomes like we commodify this and we turn it into capital. Hmm. And so that's why you work in a multi-trillion dollar or billion dollar industry globally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's interesting you, uh, you bring up the white supremacy piece. Uh, I recently had on, and uh, the episode, her episode should be released before yours, so folks will have something to reference. reference but I, I recently had on uh, Tiffany Harrison. Uh, you mean Hammond? Fidget oh my surprise? gosh, thank you. I'm sorry, Tiffany. I keep calling you Harrison. <laughs> I've told so many people Harrison, and it is Hammond. Thank you so much. Oh. It's called a perseverative error. Oh, thank you. Well, that, I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll jot that down in my show notes. Watch for Ben's perseverative error of Harrison over and over again. There is a Harrison somewhere that, that I have to figure out who that is, and I'd probably call that person Hammond. Anyway, thank you for the corrections. I had Tiffany Hammond on. <sighs> Wonderful conversation. I just I really love chatting with her um uh, and and about sort of her experiences and in, in her life and but one thing she talks about and and what actually was sort of the impetus for me getting her on the podcast was she she does a lot of writing too like yourself and um and i think she's also actually in the process of writing a novel herself um or a storybook i believe and uh and something for kids and um but she um writes a lot of really wonderful essays um and you'll find, you can find her on social media and she wrote this one and 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 i I'm, I struggle with reading long, long documents. Um, uh, my attention span doesn't last too long either. Um, but you uh, can read hers though, right? I, but, I, but I read this one in particular um, because it really, I think the title really stood she out to me. so good. So good. And this one article <laughs> referred to, and, and we had a discussion about this and it's really sad. And I've, and I've, I've actually, I use this in a, I use this sort of um, a metaphor um, in a recent presentation I did to a, a local ABA chapter, um, but she refers to sort of uh, the uh, this idea of a tree, um, um, uh, and 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 uh, and you know with the roots and the stem and the leaves and and all all those sort of different hierarchical parts of of, of a system per se, and she says you know and and, and in terms of sort of the you know the anti ABA kind of conversation. 
her stance, at least in this particular essay, was that, you know, ABA and the problem sort of associated with ABA is just one leaf in the tree. Um, and that, you know, yes, this co- that's what I've always felt. I didn't use that exact analogy, yeah. but and this conversation about ABA is just is so surface level. And we really need to get back down to sort of the roots of the problem, which are essentially all of our isms, our, our racism and our ableism and mm-hmm. all the other isms lined up, which she basically says, we need to really go back and look at sort of the systemic, uh, you know, white supremacist, racist, ableist underpinnings from which this was all built on. So we're talking pre-B.F. Skinner. We're talking all of the, you know, the col- col- yeah, col- manifest destiny, colonization go back and to all that. that sort of stuff. And, you know, and, and, and really the sort of, uh, someone else had another really good phrase. Um, uh, she's actually a, a, a behavior analyst, uh, Dr. Malika, if I pronounce her name right, Pritchett, and she talks about sort of the the Western hegemonic uh, hegemonic sort of sort of structure and and just how how we put everything in that sort of Western kind of colonized lens, um, and uh, and and that's not how life is uh, for most of the world, um, and and so uh, that there are these racist and ableist and all these sorts of ism sort of foundation pieces to the problem that is, you know, the problem with ABA, but that's, it's the problem with everything else too. And so I just really like, really liked your, your, your reference to that, because I think that's something that, you know, when we talk about sort of these systemic issues, these, this is the stuff we got to deal with. I mean, it's, and this, and I think this is sort of the angle that some folks come at when they say, we just need to ban ABA and erase it because from a lot of perspectives, it's and it's not even just ABA. It's you know, I think banning education, um, you know, and, or or at least erasing it all and starting over and 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 looking at it from a, you know, more holistic, anti-racist, anti-ableist lens, um, um, you know, and I think we're going to have completely different therapies and 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 you know and supports and systems in place but until we address those systemic pieces which seems really big to a lot of people um and maybe not worth dealing with so it's better just to argue about aba um um, uh you know we're not going to ever see any really massive change agreed 100 percent. in fact i gotta i have been trying to do what tiffany is doing for years and I felt like I was the only one who was seeing all that. Hmm. Um, you know, I would get called a sellout every time I tried to bring up, Hey, this is more than just, this isn't just ABA. Mm-hmm. The same exact things that are happening in every service provision field is happening in public school. Mm-hmm. It happens in churches it happens in broader society. Mm-hmm. It is this like forced assimilation mm-hmm. mindset where you have this default way of being that's mm-hmm. really based on like white European ideals of like you have to be this 100% independent person. Mm-hmm. Independence is a myth of white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. We, we are the most hyper individualistic society in the world. It's true. Yeah. Built on the labor of people from collectivist society. It's so true. Yes. Yeah. And so we have to become, yeah. we have to get back to those indigenous collectivist mm-hmm. ways of existing 
to to learn that a society we're not meant to be a global monoculture mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if you're a, a single culture that means there is one default way to be yep and there's pressure that social validity there that yep. behaviors of social consequence are essentially behaving like a white abled upper middle class neurotypical with professional credentials mm-hmm. your field is one of the worst like i've done i've worked in things related to police reform and the justice system and that goes way beyond just police mm-hmm. police are kind of like the rbts in this situation we're talking like more the aba bacv more the the systemic overseers sure your field is built on like the the science itself is not the problem right analyzing a behavior to try and determine its function and what's causing it and what we can adjust to change that behavior not to change the person but to mm-hmm. make their life better is not inherently bad no but the belief systems mm-hmm. of most of your founding um I gotta say, fathers, because it's almost all old white dudes. Yeah, pretty much. And then you've got young white dudes who have this like Sam Harris hyper skeptical, like <laughs> I call it bro skepticism, right? Right. It is like white supremacy on turbo. Yeah. Um, where they have made a religion out of anti-religion. Yeah. And what they're anti is is anti anything that seems uh, magical or cultural or spiritual yes. or it even they even act like psychiatric diagnoses which are neurological and chemical and and biophysical in origin are magical thinking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just behaviors that need to be tailored with mm-hmm. external and so it's up to this almost exclusively white dude to look at someone and determine what it is that's good for them and then to shape them with coercion into becoming that thing with no respect whatsoever for like the people who live that life who tell you this is not working for me and here's why. Yeah. No, you you make up you, and then, and this is definitely you're right. You're on the money. So, I mean, I think, because our, our field, you know, our field does does sort of, you know, not look at any of those other sorts of areas because we're we're all about observable, measurable behavior, and that's what we address and deal with. And I don't think there's a problem with that. I think the problem is that that men- well, there's a huge problem. With well, it. just if I may, I think the problem is is that we 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 don't we then make the 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 stretch from that that that's all there is that that's all there is to people is this observable behavior that we describe and label and and deal with and and don't consider that there's you know all these other pieces and all these other people that could and this is why we don't you know we, we a lot of folks say we don't quote unquote play nice in the sandbox with other professions because we essentially look at other professionals as being, well, not what we're doing, so it doesn't matter. 
um, uh, and, and, and areas, not what we're doing. So it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I, I think it's fine to work on what you know, but you can't do it alone in a silo. Um, and I think, I think that's kind of where, where we struggle, but you were saying. I was saying that, you know, because of Tiffany has extremely brave, I, I very much admire the work that she does yeah. because of the autistic community rightfully opposes ABA, but they still have that surface understanding the same way that people within the field have a surface mm -hmm. understanding of the bigger societal factors that, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to say that's their fault. Mm -hmm. I also kind of for, for a short time jumped in and got like a, a bit too, I don't want to, go to the level of fanatical, <laughs> but um, a bit too passionate on the, like, let people be themselves. I was not, um, I was not looking at things with the, the requisite nuance mm. that they deserved yes. for a short time. But then once I got there, thanks to the work, I, I don't know if you know Oswin Latimer. I do. From, yes. Big, yeah. big fan. Yeah. I want to say Oswin is one of the most, um, like pivotal figures of like helping me to see beyond and also validating for me that, mm -hmm. that there's somebody out there who sees the systemic issues, right. Mm -hmm. As another native person in that. Right. Um, so we, we had that kind of cultural, um, similarity but then yes. watching i just watched and learned for years mm -hmm. w without interjecting myself that much and mm -hmm. so um and like i said when i watch and learn things i don't just surface do them i i mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. to the bedrock and keep digging mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that's just my nature so i really i had all this perspective that i had from watching Oswin and some other people work, um, like Jeff Newman, you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, but also, um, I didn't have that, that much ability to by myself alone, come out and say, Hey, you're harming people. This, what you're proposing is maybe going to, um, we have a chief decolonizing officer that everyone should get to know. Jude hmm. uh, put it in terms of trickle-down justice, right? So almost all advocacy that's led by white people um, kind of helps people with the most privilege within a marginalized group. Hmm. So the majority of autistic advocacy was helping what society would view as higher functioning. Mm -hmm. So speaking without, without serious motor disability and, and maybe without serious co-occurring conditions. Um, advocating for things that will work for like upper and middle class white nuclear families and adults who were capable of um, they they needed some supports, 
but not the the more intense level of supports. And most of mm. these people were not parents, mm. uh, or were not parents of children with more pronounced, obvious to outsider disability mm. that would put them at more risk. So they weren't seeing all these things, and they weren't being. And that's okay. That's not their place. They don't have to. But somebody needed to, and it was things that I've always needed to do. I haven't been able to until Tiffany really just came through and, like, hmm. I can't begin to express what a culture shift we've had. That I personally was not able to get many people on board mm -hmm. to, to see mm -hmm. and understand things until after. And it wasn't just Tiffany Hammond, also Tiffany Joseph who is nigh-functioning autism yes. on social media. Yes, yes, I love Tiffany Joseph so much. It's, if there's any advocate in the world to follow, please, that is the one. Nigh-functioning autism. Yeah, and that, that's N-I-G-H for folks, yeah. Yes. Um, please go follow that account on any social media um, because she will, she will connect you. Every day she shares things from places that you're not likely to find on your own. Mm. Like you have to, you have to be in community with people to find these because algorithms only boost. Mm -hmm. Like your 22 year old, physically attractive, newly diagnosed, white, you know, autistic college student. Of course. And not somebody who's had like years of of like extremely difficult uphill battles mm -hmm. um, as an individual and as a parent. Mm -hmm. So definitely um, have appreciated it. And now that they have started to lay more of the groundwork, Oswin's been doing that work for years. I have been doing that work for years. I think that, you know, none of us really come out and endorse ABA. Mm-hmm. But we're saying you can't just scream ABA is abuse and that's enough. Mm -hmm. You can't just have this surface area and not understand that the same things that you're calling abusive are, are in every system. Mm -hmm. But at least where people have been holding ABA professionals accountable, mm -hmm. a lot of ABA professionals are listening. Mm. That's different. I can go into a space that is just, general it's not like a protected insider autistic space and say something and get jumped on by a bunch of ot's and slp's and bcba's will come behind me and defend and defend hmm. because they've been listening to autistics because autistics have been telling them you need to listen yep. for a lot of years and yep. they have but nobody yep. is holding anyone else nobody's holding teachers accountable nobody's holding ot's pt's you know music therapists Nobody's holding anybody else accountable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. except ABA, but everybody's doing the exact same things. So are we seeing we have to undo 40, 50 yeah. states laws, tons of laws in each individual state because they all have their own sovereignty to even mm. begin to think about banning ABA, but you can't ban a philosophy. You no, can't ban white no. supremacy. It's not legislation. You can't, you know, legislate attitudes mm -hmm. we have to change attitudes that's the real problem no exactly so, i feel like we're we're seeing a, a bit of a cultural shift and that's really
a lot of really good information, um, a lot of a lot of a lot of thinking that is stimulating. Certainly stimulating a lot of thinking in me. Uh, you know, I'm already quite distracted mentally, um, and looking forward to kind of diving into some of these th- some of this terminology and replaying the podcast for my editing and hopefully getting some more information. And like I said, check out the show notes. There's going to be lots of good stuff in there. So thanks again, Tara, for coming on. Sure. Thank you for having me.